Welcome to The Last Supper, a weekly podcast featuring emergent and established artists, gallerists, curators and collectors in Asia. Hello, I'm your podcast host Oscar Van Huys, a Dutch Korean entrepreneur and artist based on Lama Island in Hong Kong. In this episode of The Last Supper, I caught up with Charlotte Lin and discussed the experience working with a new generation of art collectors in Hong Kong. And Charlotte spoke about the background of her upcoming group exhibition, Glimmer Shrine, at the Tang Contemporary Art Gallery in Hong Kong. I like to emphasize that this weekly podcast is entirely free. However, each weekly episode requires enormous personal resources, so I'm asking you a very simple favor. If you enjoyed this podcast, please ensure you subscribe to this podcast channel and share this podcast with your colleagues or friends. Without your support, this podcast would not be possible. And before we begin, I'd like to mention that the Last Supper podcast is supported by the Hong Kong Art Gallery Association, a member-based non-profit organization of established local and international art galleries in Hong Kong. Hello Charlotte, thank you for meeting me today at the Tang Contemporary Art Gallery in Central in Hong Kong. How are you today? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a podcast, so listeners can't see where we are, so i like to start and begin this particular episode with describing where we are. So we are sitting in a small private office in the gallery and next to you on the wall is a small and quite colorful work hanging. What can you tell me about this painting? So you're looking at uh, a work by Kitty Naro. So Kitty Naro, he is a Thai artist that currently based in uh, Bangkok. Well, his work is often come with very iconic, figurative drawing, very colorful background. And then if you notice the, the hand of the man, they're wearing this tropical shirts. And then you notice that the, the arm is always long, almost like, like noodle, noodle arms. And then mostly his work often carry with very peaceful, joyful scene. At the back, there's a lot of clouds flowing and then one of the most interesting thing that I found is their face. Often, he doesn't really draw people with facial expression. They always look calm or they very indifferent. You've been working in Hong Kong art scene for a while and people have very different backgrounds from literature to design, history and of course art itself. Can you speak more about your background? Yeah. So... Um, well, I've always been traveling around. I spent my high school in Kafa Junior in Beijing. And later on, I was in Canada for one or two semesters for high school. And later on, I went to Sydney, Australia um, for my uni. So I've been here and there, but always interested in art. And it is always something that has driven me towards. So, yeah, and then I studied at COVA in UNSW Sydney. And then I started as a partition artist because, you know, when I was little, I don't know, like, much about, like, oh, how big our industry, you know, we have, there's a lot of, like, institutions, gallery. Well, it is actually very, very diverse. So, you know, that's kind of the engine point, how I get started. And then afterwards, well, I am more interested in curation and research. So during the uni time, I spent a lot of time working for Art Gallery of New South Wales. 
And then later on, I joined Weiberber Gallery in Sydney, which is largest contemporary Chinese collection of in the world. Yeah, and then pandemic happened, so my parents feel like, oh, do you want to, you know, come back to Hong Kong? So that's why I'm here. Oh, so the reason why you're back in Hong Kong is because your parents asked you. If they hadn't asked you, do you think you would have stayed in Australia? Well, I always want to be in Hong Kong. So the family moving Hong Kong for more than 10 years ago. But, you know, because I was studying and working, so I didn't actually have a time coming back because I always come back for holidays. I always wanted to be in like, you know, traveling around the world that, that I always know that I want to be in Hong Kong. So luck and, I, you know, the universe work in a very interesting way. Okay, let's talk a little bit more where your interest in art comes from. Are you the only one in the family or how did you develop this passion for the arts? Well, just me, very different. So I'm now a gallerist. My sister, she's a solicitor, but she's now working in finance. And my brother, he's so very young, but he's interested in engineering. So it's a very interesting family. But grew up, always my parents took me to museum. We go visit all the shows. So I think that kind of like brings a connection, shaping me as my, my personality as today. Is there a particular art genre that they are interested in? Well, what thought of my dad, he's more into post-war and then antique because during the time, he's very close uh, connections with the museums in China. And then ever since I was born in Shenzhen, so you can see the connection. Shenzhen is actually, um, you know, ever since Deng Xiaoping's special economic zone policy, you know, when the Shenzhen opened and there's an upcoming wave. And then beginning this year, the gallery did a solo exhibition for Yue Mingjun. He's one of the cynical uh, representative of cynical realism. So that generation actually, they're facing the up and coming and race in, for, of China in the past 20 years. And then I think Shenzhen is a very special place, even though it hasn't been much influenced by the art world. Mostly the art is always in Beijing and Shanghai in the past 20 years. But I think Shenzhen is something that is, as a mirror, you see how the society reflects. And then, so that's my father's uh, collection genres. But he always follow with the current, and uh, he's in contemporary now. And what about yourself? Have you been able to develop your own portfolio of work? Yeah, um, I'm really, really um, drawn into um, female artists and LGBTQ artists in particular. Ah, is that a coincidence that you know Cousin Chen, who I had on my podcast as well, because he introduced me to you. Did you connect with Cousin through collecting or how did you both meet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's my ex-colleague. So uh, we both work... Uh, before so I when um, we kind of like overlap together and in Saluna Fine Art probably you already know uh, Rachel yeah uh, I see that makes sense now let's move on and talk about your viewpoint on current developments in the art world I recall last time when we met uh, I was at a gallery and I noticed that the vast majority of the displayed works were quite colorful very bright and striking colors and they were all from very different artists 
I wonder if that was a coincidence or what can you tell me about your perspective on this? Well, definitely across all the areas, especially, um, well, our industry, you have two separate, well, they're connected, but also separated. One is market driven and another one is like research driven. But I think especially nowadays, and I went to gallery exhibitions, museum exhibition or auction house, there are always these kind of like pop of color that drawn into And I think it is something that associate with the generation. When, when I say generation, I mean more like market driven. Because 20 years ago, in Asia, a lot of like collectors or the audience, they prefer something that is Chinese ink and calligraphy drawing, which the color is much more subtle. But now the new generation, I mean, the uh, people born in 90s, 80s, and uh, late 70s, these generation, they are all drawn and then more adapted to colors, especially pop of color. And I think in Asia, it's pretty much like in Hong Kong, you and gallery hopping here and there, you always see the, the color, the figurative, and then the, they're quite loud, I would say. Of course, each collector has its own niche and taste. But when you work with art buyers in China and Asia, do you feel they have a different preference than those buyers and collectors from Europe and US? Mm, I would say depends. It's very different because even though the collector who buy art from me, and then they're very diverse. But when I say like overall, because Asia is heavily influenced by in the early 90s, the Japanese comic this kind of like pop uh, manga culture uh, always adapted to it. And in Hong Kong especially, I grew up watching a Japanese comic cartoon. And then I would say my, even though myself is also influenced by that. In what way do you think Japanese manga culture has influenced your art preferences? This market observation have like big eyes, you know, figures with cute face. These kind of figure are more like comic-ish, yeah. I am more drawn into the color, the soft. I'm more into female artists. And also the color is also soft and then very warm. The, when you go to academic fine art school, and then you will always notice that female artists have a better sense towards color instead of the male artists. It is something I would say as a, a gift And then they will deliver the color with emotion much more effortlessly. You will see a lot of like this color, brush strokes, even texture that created by these female artists. Another topic I'd like to hear your opinion on, because you work very closely with buyers and collectors here in Asia, is on pricing and gender. I recall there was a research study in 2019 that was conducted by an international team of researchers led by Dr. Adams of the Oxford University in the UK. And they took a sample of almost 2 million, I think exactly 1.9 million international art transactions from the period between 1970s up to 2016, I believe. Of almost 70,000 artists from the Blowing Art Sales Index, 
which is also known as the BASI or the BASI. So the conclusion was that art by female artists sold for more than 42% less than male artists. The art wasn't necessarily made between this period of the 1970s and 2016, but was sold and traded during this period. So this shows the gender inequality in art. So my question to you is about your personal experience working with a new generation of artists and collectors. Do you observe the same extreme price difference? Comparing to before, it's much closer because our industry now we are more focused on decentralized. Especially nowadays, we focus more on minority. We focus on current issue, gender issues, that issues that haven't been addressed in the past. So more female artists, LGBTQ artists, or artists that are very different than what I'm talking about and comparing to like 20 years ago, 10 years ago. These kind of new and upcoming is very different. I think it's associated with the current society movement. Um, When I say that, I mean, like, ever since the um, pandemic happened, uh, people were more more aware of everything that is happening around the world, and especially online, the cancel culture. People were more aware of what they say and then what they react, and then they paying more attention to what was, like, being unseen um, in the past. So, yeah, it's overall a decentralized path that everyone is going towards. Of course, we can't avoid talking about COVID because in Hong Kong and China, we still have restrictions. And although Hong Kong is very slowly relaxing the quarantine rules, we don't know how long this will take. So what can you tell me how this has impacted your dealings with artists and collectors in Asia? Mm. Well, Hong Kong recently opened like zero plus three policy, but before we put a lot of like effort working like online platform, that is for sure. Comparing to before, we now have each uh, exhibition, we have a live tour on both like English channel and Chinese channel, and as well as a uh, video walkthrough after the exhibition has been open. So I would say, yes, there's a lot of things going on in Hong Kong. Even on by email, you see gallery opening like every week, new show opening and something going on. It's making the city more vibrant. For me, myself, I have in particular ones that are really interested and I stay into their gallery programs. So this is how I do. I think that they're very diverse, contemporary, post-war. Every gallery, they're coming with their own very unique personality And then by saying that, even though there's a lot of numbers going on, you still can visit in particular ones that you like, or you think, oh, this show is very interesting, I would like to visit. Europeans have adapted really well and rapidly to this new environment. There's a strong focus on the negatives of virtual presentations that you just described, 
But what do you think the benefits are of this new approach of presenting art? We have a lot of Chinese audience, and then even though we have very full program on WeChat, we have WeChat articles,、uh, we have Chinese website, and then we have all kind of channel. But even though we have three spaces in Beijing, but for them to traveling around is actually quite difficult to have a video walkthrough. It is, you know, not only as for them to study about this exhibition, but also as a tool for archive. After the show, they want to see how is the space feel like. It is very different for them to visit the space. So you see how it looks like when you hang on the wall, when they lay out with other works, the lighting, the space, and then we do a little bit editing with the voiceover. And then sometimes, if the artist is free, we ask them to、uh, to talk about the show. We interview them. So it's a very interesting thing. It's new, but yeah. What I also like to address is how you manage and work with your clients. What can you say about this? I'm very close to my collectors. I talk to them. I even visit different shows with them. Each one of them, they have a very unique taste and then a collection path. For them, they collect words that is important works and also important words that is attached to themselves. So it's very different, I would say. I have a lot of female collectors. I really do cherish that. They have a lot of knowledge about art, about the history, about what is happening in the contemporary, aware of the things that happening in the society, and then they have very unique taste. So yeah, very different. And、I、ask several of my gallery's friends; they all say majority of their clients are all male. I think my case is quite special. Now you also have your very first curated show coming up here in Hong Kong at the Ten Contemporary Art Gallery. How did this develop, and what can you say about how the idea of your first show began? I started working on this show last year, at the end of last year, and then. I know that I always start with a group show with different female artists that born in nineties and then eighties. These two generation, and then starting at the beginning, I wanted to have this angle that I want to do something that is soft and tender. This kind of like soft power that female always carried at the very beginning. I developed、um, my proposal and I talked to the gallery founder, and it's for quite long. I think the first. Three months is quite intense, and then later on it kind of developed, and then we have nowadays. So you planned it, but how did he get your first curated exhibition? Because we are doing the exhibition schedule for 2022, and I saw there is a gap, and I was like, I think what about? And then of course, you know, it was it coming as a thought. And then it kind of developed because you always have to have the pitching material ready, so a lot of research, a lot of communication, and then also talk to artists, talk to the gallery founder, and then everything together. Yeah. How did you develop your narrative, and what can you tell me about your research behind the show? Yeah, it, it kind of shifted because at the beginning,、uh, it was. 
end of last year. So I did a little bit of adjustment to the original proposal because I think it's been a year later, and then they're all having new work. And then during the time, the world is also changing as well. By saying that, even all the、um, curation projects, it has to be updated. Address like things that happening in the society. So, well, I started as a group show that is artists focusing on the soft color, domestic、uh, world, female gaze, nostalgia, attachment, the use of power, how he translate their languages on the canvas to visual. So I say a lot of things going on, and then I want people to visit the show. The moment when they step into gallery, they will notice that, oh, it is something that is very soft. It coming as like a breeze. It's not like you know shocking. It's more subtle, and it's more you need to take time, sit down, looking at the work. I also found that there's a lot of exhibition I wouldn't visit. I feel a little bit when I'm looking at the work, I'm looking at the press release. I kind of have to like guess. It's always a guessing game between you when do a new exhibition. You have a guess who they are. You're looking at the title. Who are the artists? And then you kind of like walking into the space with the、um, non-biased, very fresh mind, and then you try to guess what they're trying to talk about by the shape,、um, by the form, by how it look. And then later on, you're looking at the content, and then to see if my content, my guessing matched the content. But for my upcoming November, I wanted to be something that is the moment when you're entering the gallery, you feel it. Not by、um, looking at the work, by the space, and then by the artist's material, you can instantly feel this kind of like soft and tenderness that is happening in the gallery. And also,、um, we are very lucky to have this like volume of space、uh, in Tang Contemporary. Comparing to other galleries in Hong Kong, we have a massive volume of space. Which means that once you enter the space, you see the spacious, you see the ceiling, the volume, everything else together. So I think that is the most challenging one because other gallery you're looking at the work first, but here you're looking at space. And how many artists are involved in this upcoming show? Five. We have Superficial Kid.、Uh, we have Alina Bergner.、Uh, we have Greta Lowe. We have Jialing Loringren, and then we have Gao Yuchu. Can you also speak more about the artist's work and why you have chosen them for this group show in November? You know, at the very beginning, you thought of pitching. I thought of have my list for artists that I wanted to work with, and then also nowadays these artists that are, you know, not only I want to work with them, everyone wants to work with them. So the schedule is actually very tight. And then later on, it developed, and then also very very lucky that all of them they are available at this time slot. And from which part of the world are they from, or are they all based here in Asia?、Uh, Superficial kid, she is from German, and then currently based in New York. Greta, she is from Australia, but she is not based in Germany. Same with Alina and Jialing. She is born in China, but she graduated from Chicago and currently based in Vancouver. 
and uh, Yu Chu. She's also from China, but currently based in Germany. And yeah, so I think everyone is everywhere. Sort of. If you don't mind, can you talk a little bit more about the work? And have you been able to see the final pieces? Uh, no, no, no. The, the list is already out. Uh, we've received all the images. It's very fitted because their practice, their work is very fitted to the theme, and then that's why they have like a, such a strong connection. And then their own new work, you can see their technique is also improved when when you're looking at the artist's work throughout the time. So yeah. I realize we haven't mentioned the title of the show yet, which has a kind of glamorous and mysterious name to it, and it's called Glimmer Shrine. What can you say about this title? Because depending on the language you use to translate it, it has multiple meanings. In the Western world, when you're thinking about the Shire, it's always a place that people went there for religious or non-religious event, and then it often contains like objects or idols or something that is meaningful to them. But in Mandarin, like in Chinese, the terms of Shire is Shenkan. It means it's a cabinet for people who display things that are important to them. It can be religious or non-religious, and then. I'm not sure if you've seen those ones. If you walk around in Hong Kong, it's always a size of、um, a cabinet, like wooden cabinet, a size of a suitcase, very small. And then they di- display the Buddha or display the Guanyin or display something that is、uh, important to them. Even though they're、uh, past family members, those cabinets are called shenkan. I think if you play around with the concept of a shenkan, it's always a small cabinet, and then you always have to look at it. You have to peek at it. Even though sometimes when I was little, I went to temple with my parents, with my families, and then looking at them, it is always looking up or looking straight, and then you cannot look from the side because it is the shape of a cabinet, and then it always coming something that is very meaningful attachment. Similar to these group of female artists, they exploring their domestic world. It's a way of a female gaze. I mean, the world is so big, but you can only take a peek towards it. A lot of complex layer towards it, and then you have to, you know, layer by layer to unveil it, so you can only see what is actually inside. What can you say about the mediums and techniques that the artists have used and applied?、Um, paintings and mixed media, and also we have two fabric towel、uh, installation as well.、Um, a lot of these artists they use fabrics because back in the day it is always like men go out and hunting, and then female yeah, at home and then they harvest or they how to say the word is like. 男耕女织 means like females at home, and then they are woven. They are making fabrics、uh, with the furs. So these kind of attachment, the fabric is something always very feminine. There are a lot of great female artists that using fabric as the medium to for their practice. So I think that's very interesting. They paint on the towel, the fabrics, and also they. And do embroidery on canvas. 
like for example, Super Future Kid. Her work is very.、Um, there's a lot of lot of detail when you're looking at it. It's you have her iconic girl figure, and then we have one major work、uh, with like her room series, which means that a girl、um, inside the room, and then there are a lot of things happening at once. And the other artist, Alina. So her work is more subtle. She used the color. So when she create works, she used a bigger brush that is rubbing onto the canvas. It kind of create this like very gloomy yet、um, dreamy soft texture. And then when you're looking at it, it kind of、uh, give you a very straightforward, strong emotion. The gallery that you will be using at Tang. Contemporary Gallery is one of the largest galleries here in Central Hong Kong, so you have a lot of space to play with. What can you say about the dimensions of the work and how this plays into the exhibition space? We have、uh, the largest work we have is from Greta. I think it's more than two meter. Will be displayed at the、um, main wall. It's massive. And because it's a very big space, and I think at the very beginning stage when we're doing the floor plan, and then we turn to have bigger size work, but you know also it's a very interesting contrast. You know, it's such a big space; you need big work in order to make a contrast. You know, feeling and you see the a composition between the wall and then the art. But also very interesting. Hong Kong local collector they prefer to have smaller work. Because you know the housing, and then there's a lot of limits. So this time we have very different. We have smaller ones, and then the large work as well. You mentioned that you began planning last year, which was at the height of COVID in Hong Kong, and this is your very first curated show without actually having met the artist in person. How was this experience? Yeah, quite quite interesting. So it's you know very different before the old way to curate a show. You visit the artist studio before the show. You understand their existing work. I mean, some of the their work I saw、uh, in Hong Kong or somewhere else, but most of the connection are be done by virtual by meetings, emails, texts. Yeah. Offer you said that you've seen an increase of people buying art during COVID, which is really fascinating. Was there a particular category of art that did well? Yeah, but when I say buying art, I mean like smaller ones. I think Hong Kong in particular, because there's a lot of like restriction of spaces. So yeah, space for sure is a major consideration here in Hong Kong. What about price? How has COVID affected this? I think average will be under ten thousand USD, about. And what about the art market in general? How has this evolved in the past two, three years? It's、um, a shift. You know, a lot of things happened、uh, in COVID. Not only you know. And then the up and coming new generation. I mean, like for people born in late nineties and zero zeros, and then in Hong Kong, I know a lot of like younger friends, younger collectors. They're all buying. So I think I'm、um, I'm actually very happy to see this kind of new and coming because they are having this habit 
of visiting shows, buying work, seeing what's going on. They are aware of what is happening. Let's talk about this new generation of buyers and collectors a little bit more. Do you know if these new buyers are first-time buyers or what motivates them to purchase art? Is that because of the media or friends or what is driving this? I think it's overall influence. You see it everywhere. Or I think maybe the algorithm of social media. Who knows? <laughs> right? You see people buying stuff. Before, people spent a lot of money traveling, uh, F&B, and then closings. But they just, you know, they're still spending, but in a very different way. If I understand it correctly, business for you has been pretty good over the last two years. There were always people collecting, no matter what kind of things or art or like closing, whatever that people collecting, they all still spending, but just very different than previously. Also, the way I say, I think it's because I enter Hong Kong art world after, you know, things during the pandemic. So I see things very differently. So yeah. Or maybe because my targeted audience is different comparing to the main genre. I know you have a question for me as well, so let's switch the roles for a second here. How, because I want to, you know, compare to our conversation before, I entered Hong Kong art world during the pandemic. How was it from your experience from before to now? How do you think of it before, during, and then now we are heading towards the almost post-epidemic I would go a bit further back than the last few years to explain the development and evolution of the arts here in Hong Kong. I arrived in Hong Kong in 1997, and that was during the exact week and day of the handover. At the time, I was living in London, and it was my very first business trip to Asia. I remember Hollywood Road with all the Chinese antiques, and at the time, only very few commercial contemporary art galleries existed and the concept of independent art space was pretty much non-existent. So 25 years ago in 1997, to my knowledge, studying art in Hong Kong was really rare and only a handful of students, like literally just a dozen, would graduate with an art degree. So fast forward to today, we have Art Basel, Art Central, M Plus, and hundreds of galleries, including almost 50 very established local and international galleries. And we have Sotheby's, Christie's, Phillips, the three major art auction houses, all have their HQ here in Hong Kong. So when I look at the art development of the last 20 years, the landscape and industry has completely transformed for the better. It's been quite phenomenal. Now, before we all get really complacent and only celebrate the great achievement that I just mentioned, I also believe that Hong Kong is really, really far behind in the education of arts. And I really hope that practicing art and education becomes really embedded within society. 
And I'm not just talking about paintings, but all art forms, including music, performance, literature, and all the other domains. I really wish that all these domains become part of society's fabric and that arts will be deeply embedded in personal development and that art is not just seen as a luxury item and side note of personal growth. Well, that is my personal experience. So how do you see the development in Hong Kong? Hong Kong is very um, special because before I, well, I briefly mentioned to you, I went to Seoul for Kiev. 2022 and then it was happening at the very beginning of september and then during the time there's a lot of like conversation and then ever since the kiev and fritz so they're happening at the same time well they always like look forward to well so be the next hong kong well hong kong be replaced i think there's a lot of like conversation going on through it what do you think of um, this kind of... Yes, many people are asking if Hong Kong is losing its competitive edge in the art market. And I would say there are at least two narratives happening at the same time. Hong Kong as a destination is diminishing. However, assuming that the borders to mainland China will open within the foreseeable future... Hong Kong's tax benefits or the 0% tax on art import and export and a very simple tax system in general that benefits businesses, this will be very hard to beat for any other Asian city. From a pure financial and art market trade perspective, I do not see Hong Kong losing this position anytime soon. Hong Kong is in fact the second largest art market in the world after New York, where other Asian countries do compete is the domestic and local talent development and pool. Ultimately, Hong Kong is a very small place of, I think, around 7 million people. So Korea, Japan, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, all the other countries in Asia have a far larger pool of domestic art talent and this diversity and richness of art forms is Hong Kong's weakness. Let's switch worlds again. I mentioned that 20 years ago there were only a dozen of art graduates Today, I think we have more than 200 art graduates each year. So do you believe that Hong Kong is large enough to provide a market for these new artists? It is very different because a lot of people coming from all the places around the world, they live here. So Hong Kong group is more diverse, I would say. But Korea, um, especially Seoul, I think there are more homegrown artists there are a lot of artists that is based in Seoul, which I think comparing to that also, you know, associate with their education system. Hong Kong this year, I see, I definitely see there's an improvement. At the very beginning of 
pandemic, there's a lot of gallery. They're turning a new strategy, which is creating、uh, curating shows for local artists. Comparing to before, they always look outside of Hong Kong, but now they are paying more attention to what is happening inside Hong Kong. The homegrown artists, the the local graduates, their show every year. I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's very different when we talk about the environment. They are formed very differently now. Hong Kong, there are more、uh, museums going on, institutions. Like so, I was amazed by my trip to Liu Museum. The show was nicely executed. Their permanent collection, their collaborative exhibitions, and their public installation outside. There's a beautiful lounge, and then with Anish Kapoor's work, I was I really do enjoy that. I did a lot of like other gallery hopping with my colleagues at the very end of the day before I left. So. So it's a very very interesting, but also because I only spend a day doing the gallery hopping, the rest of the time I either at the booth or at the the gallery space. So my perspective might not might be very different, but also very very happy to see there's so much going on in Asia. We appear to have a similar background in that we both were brought up in an environment with art and culture, and that we were raised outside of Hong Kong. And we both have spent quite a few years now here in Hong Kong. How would you describe Hong Kong's art landscape and cultural climate?、Uh, because I mentioned to you, I grew up in Shenzhen. So after the year I went to primary school, and then this where they starting the new education system called Shuzhijiaoyu,、uh, which means that quality education means that. Allowing the student not only focusing on what is being homework, but also expanding their、um, interest of culture, history in all kind of ways, science,、uh, math. So more than that, so that's kind of like the context I grew up with. So entire Shenzhen they starting this、um, new system of education. But I think Hong Kong, it's not just the city itself, and it's also you know the history, and then.、Um, Now I think it's getting much more better. You can see that there's so many museums opening Hong Kong, and then they are actively doing museum communication program, like education to the public, making museum more easy to access. And recently,、um, probably you saw my IG. I、um, was a young committee to for FIF, their young committee for their project in Hong Kong Science Museum called Big Eight. This exhibition, well, it's、um, not only record breaking. They have a lot of、um, educational program, not only to the kids but also to all age. They having tours. They having collaboration with the school. I think the school is very important. If the school encourage their students to visit the show, that is most important because nowadays kids they being overwhelmed by their homework, and it's very important to get them out of the school and see what is happening and bring their enlightenment to see what they wanted to do in future or what is drawn to their heart internally. So I think definitely there is a huge improvement in Hong Kong nowadays. It's almost the end of this podcast, and you have your very first curated show coming up. Glimmer Shrine will open on November the third here in Hong Kong. Is there anything else you want to add to that? 
uh, please, if you're in Hong Kong, do come and join us during the opening. Uh, I'll be here, and then I'll give you a tour if you ask for it. And then it will be very interesting. And I'm looking forward to see everyone's perspective. Tell me if you like it, you don't like it, you see an improvement, you see um, questions, and then tell me anything, yeah. Let's go to the final question. If you were to have your last supper, which artist would you invite and why? I think Louis Bourgeois, always, always... Um, but you mean the alive one or <laughs> um, Louise Bourgeois always always drawn to her work biggest fan of her everyone know me that know that I love I really really love her work um, you know by her upbringing her life story her sculpture the tension like it's so fascinating and it just kept drawing me towards like her stories her philosophies and thing yeah so i actually i i visited the um, dr b's auction and the the spider was exhibited in pedal building and then they gave a little a postcard and i stick the postcard right next to my laptop and i look at it every day <laughs> that's how much i um into her work it is a giant um, spider that is made by cast bronze. So when people look at a spider, they give them a, a sense of feeling of, oh my God, it's a huge bug over there. But the way how um, she delivered the um, spider, it's subtle, it's mystery. The spider is very quiet, standing on the wall, hanging on the wall, ambushing, but carry. It's so, for me, it, I think it's uh, very interesting. Um, it gave me the opposite feeling. I want to approach, I want to look at it closely. By the way, how she carved the legs of the spider, and there are lines, there are twisted. When you have a picture of the artist herself, you see a very stubborn old lady and uh, with a lot of character. But when you see the spider, the work, you try to imagine how she used her hand to make this giant sculpture. It's very fascinating. It just keep drawing me towards it. And also because the color, it is uh, cast bronze. So when the light hits it, it kind of gives it a very mysterious, uh, a glimmer shine towards it. So it's very subtle, but very powerful and strong. Thank you, Charlotte Lynn, for taking the time to sit down with me today. I wish you all the best for your very first show, and I hope to see you again at the opening in November. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and then thank you for coming to the gallery space today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Last Supper with Charlotte Lynn. That's it for this episode of The Last Supper. I already mentioned this at the beginning of this podcast, but in order to continue to offer episodes for free, we will need your support. Simply subscribe to this podcast, give it a star rating, leave a comment or share it with people who you think benefit as well from listening to this weekly podcast about art in Asia. You can find more information on my Instagram at thelastsupper.asia and on my website www.oscarvenhuis.com. And before I go, if you have any further questions or suggestions, feel free to message me on my email. 
And don't worry if you don't have a pen and paper to write it all down because I will post all the links, references of my guest and my contact email in this podcast description as well.